Wow. <laughs> Surprised I dressed up. How are you guys doing today? Are you doing good? Are you guys awake right now? Can you just stand, just stretch a little bit, and we'll just say thanks to God in prayer before we open up His Word? Right now, I believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is sitting on His throne. I don't know, He might be actually getting His white stallion ready to come down. It'd be great if He came today, right now. I'd be all for it. But in the meantime, we believe that Jesus is real. If anything, if anything, we stand on one thing, that Jesus Christ shed his blood, let it drop down on the Mount of Calvary so I could see his father and be his child for all eternity. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. So before we even open his word, we need to just bow and give thanks that that's our message, that's been the message, and it needs to continue to be the message here in this place. So let's just give him thanks. Will you bow with me? And I just want to talk to our dad, our God, and our brother Jesus Christ, our king, and say thank you. Dear Jesus, um, I don't know, I really wish I could see you right now. I think sometimes in our world, specifically in our church, you have become more a myth than um, a reality, a God who really sits on the throne. You have all power, you have all strength, you have all ability. And God, you, uh, you're everything. You're everything. I pray two things. That you'd be honored by what you have seen and what you're going to hear today. But I also pray above all things that, that your son, Jesus Christ, is the one who gets all of the accolades, the glory, and the honor. Because really you're the one who's carried us 150 years. You're the one who sent the Holy Spirit to live and dwell in us. And you're the one that gives us gifts. You're the one that gives us breath to breathe. Our hearts are beating because you allow it to. Because God, truly, we live and move and have our being because of you. And so, I just pray you're, you're pleased. And all of this is in Jesus' great name. And everybody said, Amen. You may be seated. And I just want to say thank you. <laughs> thank you for allowing me to serve here at this church. I can't believe it. I still can't believe people put up with me. And it's a blessing. On January 22nd, in the year 1868, 1868, Free Will Baptist Church of Tyrone Township was officially formed. This new church began after a small band of Christians, 23 to be exact, had decided to start a Bible study to learn more about Christ. In 1890, the first church building was constructed as Arnie already said, which is now the daycare across from the Speedway. 150 years ago. That's a long, 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 long time. Listen to what took place 150 years ago. 
the chemical helium was discovered. Thomas Edison applied for his per first patent, the electric vote recorder, no light bulb or phonograph, or even motion picture device was yet invented. Jesse James became a household name after he robbed a bank in Kentucky for 14 grand. The 14th Amendment was ratified, which granted citizenship to ex-slaves under the Equal Protection and Citizens' Rights Clause. Ulysses S. Grant was nominated as the 18th President of the United States. The book Little Women by Louisa May Alcott was published. The famous Mormon patriarch Brigham Young married his 27th and final wife that year. It's a big day. It's a big day. And, of course, Cornell University was founded. Cornot to all you Dwight Schrute fans. 150 years later, here we stand. We are still rolling. So this is a time to remember. This is a time to be grateful. And this is a time to celebrate. Right, Jared? You did it in a phenomenal enough. You did a great job. Thank you. Really. And where, where is Vanna White, Trevor Miller? Vanna, you did great. I'm, my wife said, that's going to be Trevor's new nickname, Vanna. <laughs> Oops. This is also a time, the best way to put it, this is also a time to hear that same first call that the original 23 people heard. To move forward for the glory the renown, and the praise of our Lord God and His Son, Jesus Christ. They deserve everything. So to continue that call, I'd like us to focus on a passage we find in the book of Philippians chapter 3, 12 through 16. All of us, like Paul, are called to press on. Listen to what it says. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. But I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. NIV says he's taken a hold of me, so I take a hold of him for the reason which he took a hold of me. Verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also. Only let us hold true to what we've already attained. This outline is going to be relatively quick, really straightforward, we're going to talk about, number one, how to view the past. The past. Secondly, we're going to talk about how we must live in the present. And then, finally, what is the goal? What are we striving for in the future? What are we looking for? So, let's begin with the past. Let's talk about the past. Americans love their reality TV, especially when it comes to talent shows like American Idol, The Voice, where America's got talent. And what makes these shows so successful are not necessarily the people competing or performing as much as the judges who judge. Really, the judge makes the show, believe it or not. 
And there is one judge in particular that people really love to hate. And his name is Simon Cowell. You all know that. And if you've never seen any of the talent shows on television that he's judging, Simon is known to be a bit arrogant and opinionated with his cocky British voice and his trying too hard to look young style. <laughs> Especially the ones that really think they're good when they're awful. He'll just be honest. He'll say stuff like this. That song you just sang sounded like the sick cat that howls in the alleyway behind my apartment right now. Or he'll say this to somebody, the way you sang that song reminded me of a cheap karaoke night at the Dollar Pub. And one of his favorites is, are you sure you were just singing? Sometimes the person performing will leave with his head down, dejected, sobbing tears as they leave the stage. But on the other hand, surprisingly many, this is surprising, Surprisingly, many will say to him, Simon, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm a great singer because I've been singing for years, and my mom loves it. She loves it. I'll show you. Well, I think he does know what he's talking about. He's only worth $550 million from people he signed, so he's got a pretty good idea what's good. The real truth is, even though people say they hate him, he, in fact, is the one judge people listen to the most, primarily because he tells the truth. And when Simon Cow compliments you, you know you did a good job. The other judges just want to be nice, so they'll say nice things to almost anyone. Even the screeching girl that sounds like an alley cat, they'll be nice. Oh, that was nice, honey. But not Simon Cow. He calls him as he sees him, and there is another person who calls him as he sees him, and his name is the Apostle Paul. He doesn't say things just to be nice. He says things because they are true. And he wants us to be pleasing to the one judge that means everything. The Lord. So, Paul demands that we evaluate ourselves correctly. He demands that as we try to follow Christ, we do what's true. And at first hearing, it sounds a bit harsh. Here's what he says. He says this about our past. I haven't obtained really anything. I haven't been made perfect, which means I haven't reached full maturity. I do not consider myself to have taken hold of, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You could read it like this in our context. People at Kent City. Not that you've already obtained nor made perfect or been made mature. In fact, you've not taken hold of it yet. So forget all that you've done and look to the future. You could say, wait a minute, forget all that you've done? For 150 years, forget it? Well, yes and no. No in the sense that we should always remember what God has done with gratitude. But yes, we shouldn't rest on our laurels. And we should forget the past for two reasons. Number one, Paul says, no one as of yet has arrived. Nobody's arrived. 150 years is great, but we're not there yet. And we'll talk about what there is in a second. But we're not there yet. The second reason that we should forget is so you can keep moving forward. If you're stuck in the past, you'll never grow. You just won't. I once heard, and this is, this is, you'll find this kind of shocking. I once heard 
that one of the biggest problems with conservative churches, like ours specifically who have experienced success, is that we can become easily impressed with ourselves. Like the singer on stage who thinks they are great because their mom says they're great. Baptists have a tendency to be incredibly self-congratulatory because we only really listen sometimes to our own voice. Especially the churches that pride themselves on being separate. I don't want to listen to the world. I don't want to listen to anybody because I'm doing just fine. Some churches, I'll just kind of take a little practical thing. You might get a little upset at me at this, but some churches think their potluck dinners are actually fine cuisine. They really aren't. <laughs> I'm telling you. Some meatballs that you got. I don't know what's in there. Anyhow, some churches... Some churches think their dramas and plays could be shown on Broadway. <laughs> no, that's not why we're here. Some people think their guitarists and singers are just as good as Eric Clapton and Adele. You know, look at us up there. That's not our job. It, in our case, 150 years is an amazing accomplishment. There are many wonderful people who have worked hard in this church, who have done wonderful things. We've seen many people come to know the Lord. We have trained and supported many missionaries. We have baptized many, many people. We're going to have 13 baptized today. But we still haven't arrived. In fact, we really are not as great as sometimes we think we are. As Paul teaches here, we are not called by God to be impressed with ourselves. We aren't perfect. Because we are to grow and mature and keep pressing on. And while we must remember our past and be thankful for it, we need to let it go sometimes and move on. In this specific chapter of Philippians, Paul gives a quick account of his past. Look at 3 through 6. He's given an account of his past. And everything, when, when I say this, you're probably what are you going to downplay 150 years? Paul is com going to compare everything to something else. And when you see this something else, you'll realize that what we've done is nothing. Because this something else is everything. Listen to what he says in 3 through 6. For we are the circumcision man, he says, I'm a Jew, who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory in Christ. We put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself has reason for confidence, Paul is saying. But anyone else think he has reason? I have more. So Paul's going to boast to say, this is why I'm really kind of a better religious person than you. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin, Saul's the first king. He's saying, man, I was a Jew of the Jew, Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. Though Pharisees tried to keep it perfectly. I mean, he never really strayed off of the Mosaic law. Verse 6, as to zeal. You want to talk about a guy who was on fire? Man, I persecuted. The he killed people because he was so in love with God. I know it sounds like an oxymoron, but if you know his history, you understand what I'm talking about. As to righteousness under the law, he says, I'm, I'm blameless. Blameless? I mean, this is amazing. But then he said, whatever gain I had, whatever thing I count as important, I count as lost for what? Verse 8. I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ knowing Him as my Lord, knowing Him as my King. For this sake, 
I've suffered loss of all things and count them as garbage, rubbish, in order that I might gain Christ. So in comparison to all these things, Christ is everything. He's everything. And it's not that we can't remember with gratitude. What it is, though, is we haven't attained anything yet because do you really, are you really walking with Christ? That's our goal. So we are here for Jesus to make Him great, never doing all we can to declare His praises. So don't be content. Don't quit. And above all, don't say, well, we've already done so much for Him. Isn't that enough? There's a big big debate in American politics. And if you're political, you know what I'm talking about. It's sad how political we are, but here's the debate. And it centers on the phrase, American exceptionalism. Great. Making America great. Are we a great nation? Are we making it great again? Have we ever really been great? And what is greatness? There's a writer, Ross Douthat, says this about these questions. American exceptionalism must be a provisional exceptionalism. In other words, we must be expectant but not presumptuous, perpetually tempered by humility and open to correction and surprise. Provisional exceptionalism. Abraham Lincoln talked about it in the second inaugural address when he says, we need to live with malice towards none and charity for all. The Almighty has His purposes and He has to give us the right to do what's right. So in other words, exceptionalism does not come from us and our abilities and our past accomplishments. It comes from God and His present working in us. As long as we follow His lead, we will be under excellent guidance. We'll be blessed. But it is provisional. Here's what provisional means. It means that something must be handled with care or we might lose it. It means if we start taking something for granted, it can easily be snatched away. It is the same with Kent City Baptist. Our past is a clear testimony to the work of God in this body. It's clear. And the people who went before us are to be commended because they searched diligently for His will and they stayed close to Christ's lead. As a result, we who are here today, a lot of people here today, are the beneficiaries of their faithfulness. God's blessing and care has been abundantly poured out because His Son has been followed. They followed the Son. It is not because we as a church, it is not because we as a people are great in and of ourselves. I know that's hard to take, but that's the truth. It's not that we are great in and of ourselves. And it's not that Kent Cityans are a breed apart. Our bloodline is superior because we eat more apples that have been grown on a ridge. It is simply because of this. Our God is great. And His Son is superior. That leads us to talking about the present. So what do we do in the present? Paul says, in the present, I press on. I strain toward what lies ahead. I press on. So in the present, we must always be pressing on. To press means to follow hard after with determination. The Greeks used this word to describe a hunter eagerly pursuing his prey. It is to be a focused, intentional, and confident belief that you can achieve the goal. 
I like what Warren Wearsby says about this phrase of to press on. He says, a man does not become a winning athlete by listening to lectures, watching movies, reading books, or cheering at the games. He becomes a winning athlete by getting into the game and determining to win. And then he asks, wouldn't it be wonderful if Christians put as much determination into their spiritual life as they do, let's say, their golfing, their fishing, or their bowling? I would add their Pinterest browsing, but I better not add that. That's called meddling, and I can get in trouble for that. Anyhow, the reason we have had a witness here for 150 years is because people, many people, pressed on through their sacrifice. They sacrificed time, resources, talents, reputation, and even their comfort. I've personally seen it. When I first came to Kent City 22 years ago, I met a people, a group of people, who were truly invested in this place. They were truly willing to do almost anything. Let me just recount some things I remember. I think of people who left this world already, like Les Austin, Art Johnson, Elsie Harrison, Terry Long, Lauren Dudley, Ernie Pike, Ted Nenna Johnson, Evelyn Freeland, who were the old guard of the church and they gave their lives to this place. I can remember coming with my young wife, the new baby, and they were the first to reach out and encourage my work with the teens. They loved how I work with the teens. They didn't mind me experimenting. They actually encouraged me. I think of a guy by the name of Murray Potts, who was willing to do anything to reach his community. He... Uh, <laughs> He one time said, Chris, let's have an arm wrestling tournament down in our basement. And let's invite everybody from Kent City Lounge. And they came, man. They came. They came with a beer bottle in hand and a smoke in the other hand and leaning against the wall of the church. And people were like, what kind of church is this? We party at Kent City. I know, I shouldn't say that. Shouldn't say I think of those who are still with us but have served a long, long time here. People like Glenna Freeman with the kids and Norma Heineke who won the award. That was a fantastic award. I think of Bill Rexford who has a tremendously giving heart. I think of Mark and Cher. Why am I crying, Cher? Quit looking at me. I think of Mark and Cher who opened their home to college career-age students because they had no other place to go. I think of uh, a Boyd Kaler giving free Christmas trees to widows who just lost their husbands. I think of Dave Harrison coming on Saturday mornings to do lonely budget work. I think of Doug Scott opening his office on Saturdays to run a Bible study at his workplace on Saturday mornings. I think of Jill Evers, a teacher, cross-country and track coach, giving up her valuable Monday night time to help lead ladies' Bible studies. I think of Missy Slaughter staying home every year with two young boys while her husband leaves to go north with a bunch of smelly guys camping. Think of Tom Thomas, who makes it his purpose to meet every first-time visitor in this church. I think of Doris Freeland, who was willing to let all three of her kids leave the comfort of Kent City and move to Cameroon and to Papua New Guinea. I think of Arnie Winnell, who chose to use his retirement, not spent up lounging at a cabin in the UP, but cleaning toilets and mopping floors around this church. 
I think of Doug Kruger who cooks, and you're going to taste what he cooks, and you're going to think of him too later. I think of, um, I think of Rhonda Vanderwest, who's always ready to be able to play the piano for a sudden funeral. I think of the ladies who make an incredible luncheon meals for those same funerals. I think of Dave Cummings, who visits people in the hospital for no other reason but to share kindness. I think of Ray and Shirley Dreyer. What don't they do? I think of Ann Rawson, who still serves, even though she still thinks I have learned how to pastor from Adolf Hitler, but she still comes. I think of the long nights, John and Sherry and Dave and Tim and Kelly Klum and Sue and her daughter Kelly and Jeanette and Jackie and Jackie and I think another Jackie and many of others spent in this church ready for BBS, plays, services, dinners, Christmas productions. And I think of Julie Lieberman helping with the Forest Care VBS youth ministry drama and even running parade floats on a Saturday afternoon. I think of so many that are presently pressing on being intentional for the sake of Christ to make the gospel beautiful. It's beautiful. I'd ask Julie, Julie, why? Why would you do that? You never stop. Why? And I know she would say because of the future. I know every one of them would say because of the future. What is the future? Paul talks about the thing that drives him to press on. Listen to what he says in verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And then verse 14, so even though I'm already in, he's still, even though I'm saved, I still press on. Why verse 14? Because I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God of, in Christ. The upward call. It's the upward call. Paul wants heaven above all things. It's pleasures, it's riches, it's beauties, it's delights, it's joys. And most of all, seeing Christ, knowing Christ. Knowing Christ. We get to see Jesus. Talking to Jesus, we get to do that. Learning at His feet, hearing Him with my own ears, seeing Him with my own eyes, and shouting praises directly to Him with my own eyes. Lips. Listen to what Job says. This is one of the most amazing passages in the Old Testament. In 19, 25 to 27, I know, I know my Redeemer lives, and, after, and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. <laughs> and then he says, I myself, I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. How my heart yearns within me. I, you probably heard me say this. If I could, and I say this, I, youth, when I taught the teens, I'd say this, and I really mean this. To me, I, I envision it like this. I envision a gigantic stadium, huge stadium. Everybody that's in the stadium is saved. And I grew up in Cleveland. I used to go to this big like vacuous Cleveland Municipal Stadium, he had poles, so you could barely watch the game. You'd be sitting right in front of a pole. So I imagine heaven, you know, I'm going to be sitting right behind one of those poles. And all of a sudden, the angels are going to come in. They're going to announce somebody coming in. And this king is going to come in, and he's going to light up the whole stadium just with his presence. You don't need lights. You just need him. He's going to sit on the throne, and then he's going to do this. 
That's a little call sign. I'm going to look around the, that pole, and all I need him to do is do this, saying, Chris, I know you're there. That's all I need. That's all I need. It's going to be a day, man. It's going to be a day. Gordon Fee says it like this. This singular and passionate focus on the future consummation, which Paul clearly intends as life-changing and soul-shattering, often gets lost in the church. For a whole variety of reasons, in a scientific age, it is something of an embarrassment. (laughs) Yes, I'm embarrassed. I believe in heaven, I'm embarrassed. In a world that is... You know, uh, humanity has reached the uh, evolutionary age. We've come of age. Only the oppressed think of the end of all the things because they're weak, is what we're told. In an affluent age, ah, who needs it? Who needs heaven? But Paul's voice, Paul's voice should not be muffled so quickly and easily. The tragedy that that attends the rather thoroughgoing loss of hope in contemporary Western culture is that we are now trying to make the present eternal. We're trying to make the now eternal. North Americans, in particular the most death-denying culture in the history of the race. How else, pray tell, he writes, can one explain cosmetic surgery having become a multi-million dollar industry because we think this is it. This is not it. Our prize is Christ. Our goal is heaven. Our prize is Christ. Our goal is heaven. And until it's realized, we must press on. Do you know it is possible to bring a taste of heaven to earth down here now in our pressing on? The blessings are available to some degree now. We can pray for earth to start to be like it is in heaven. Our Father who art in heaven Hallowed be thy name. The kingdom's coming, but may thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is possible for people to know Christ now, to be conformed into his image now. But the picture in 312 is fascinating. He says, I am going to take hold for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. So you look at it like this. What did Jesus take hold of me for? Here's how he took hold of me. He took hold of me for a purpose. He took Chris Weeks a broken piece of clay. In fact, God the Father chose this broken piece of clay to be inherited by his son. I'm Christ's inheritance according to Psalm 2. According to John 6, God knew me and Jesus came to get me. So Jesus took hold of me for the purpose that I would be conformed into his image so he could give me back to the Father brand new. So he first took hold of me for the second thing so I would be perfect. And then he would present me back to the Father so you could say it like this. I am caught in the middle of a Trinitarian love affair. The Father gave me to the Son. The Son used the Spirit to transform me. I take hold of that by faith, and He's going to give me back someday, and He's going to say, man. I am so glad you believed in my Son. It's going to be worth everything. So, You could say, yes, the prize is heaven. 
but that prize can be open now in my heart. And the more I take hold of it, the more it will become true in my life, the more it becomes true in your life, in my life, the more it becomes true in our church's life, and the more our church will reach our goal. That is the goal, not being impressed with what we've done in the past, but each of us pressing on to be like Christ. I love what Paul says in Galatians 1, 15 to 16. Maybe one of my driving verses, in a, he says this, God was pleased to choose me because he was pleased to reveal his son in me. God chose me because he knew that Jesus would be seen in me. Is Jesus seen in you? I mean, is he really seen in you? Is Jesus seen in you? So what do we do for the next 150 years? Verse 15 and 16. Let those of us who are mature think this way, meaning if you are growing in Christ, keep pressing on. And if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. But verse 16, almost let us hold true to what we've attained. So where you're at, don't go back. Keep going. Press on. Because I'll tell you truthfully, the next 150 years of Kent City Baptist starts right now.